Well, good evening. It's great to be here, and uh, it's great to be looking at this part of God's Word. We're at the very beginning of the Bible. Uh, my name's Andrew, and uh, it's my privilege this week and next week to, to begin the series. We're actually going to spend two weeks on the first chapter, and so we're going to come at it from two different angles. Uh, next week after church, in the rooms behind, I'm happy to have a, an extended Q&A time after church. If people want to dig a bit deeper and ask questions about anything to do with how this fits in with science or questions about uh, what it all means, pushing back, uh, asking, digging further, please come along to a Q&A session after, uh, after church next week. Um, it'll be in the rooms behind here. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word and we pray that it would, be, it would speak to us, that it would be powerful in our hearts and lives. We pray that it might change us. Father, I pray that you might guide my words, that, that I might stick tr- to what you say. And Father, as you look at the beginning of the Bible, and we see the way that you blessed the world, uh, even, and the way that we betrayed you, uh, and the way that uh, you did all this, and continue to bless us, we pray that you might encourage us and strengthen us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're in the story, but we kind of come halfway through the story, and in a sense... We're in the middle of the story. We don't know how long the story's got to go, and sometimes it's hard to see where the story's going. You you see, we're born, many things happen before us, and when we die, many things happen after us. Sometimes we wonder, is there a purpose to life? And what is that purpose? Or, Or has God made it, or if you don't believe in God, has the universe made it, that everyone just determines their own purpose? Or is there an ultimate purpose that all our purposes resonate with? And when we die, do we contribute something meaningful to the big story of things? You see, it's a story that we spend our whole life being part of, and sometimes we can feel like we're middling and muddling. We're in the middle of the story, and we feel muddled because we don't know where it's come from and where it's going. The Bible's story of creation is an answer to this. It's an answer to this so that we don't have to feel muddled. There is a beginning. In fact, there's more than a beginning. There is a God. God Almighty, the maker of the heavens and the earth. Of course, there are other alternative accounts of the story, aren't there? I think even in our day, there are many new stories that try to explain our story. You see, some people look back into the past and uh, some people look back to a dark green golden age perhaps before the industrial revolution before we farmed and they say our story now will be explained if we look back at what life was like maybe even the foods we eat we eat the old foods that they eat the, the old cycles that they used to eat live or some people look to the future people look to a time that there will be when there will be an ideal and perfect society, when justice will be on the earth and we can make things as we want it to be, and the story here in the middle is explained by where we want to go. There are other stories. And um, when Genesis was first written and given to the ancient Israelites, there were other stories of how the world began. The most famous of those were stories that's been recorded and kept for us 
is a story called the Enuma Elish, and it's quite a long story, and I'm just going to give you some of the highlights. I want to show it to you for a couple of reasons. Not because those who received Genesis would have necessarily known it. They might have. But just to show you an alternative, in fact, it's actually one of the more reasonable alternatives. And it starts off in this way. There were two gods. There's the freshwater god Apsu, and there's the saltwater goddess Tiamat. And they had a whole bunch of children. And these younger gods, and uh, as they got older, they came almost like teenagers. And they made a lot of noise, and it greatly displeased their parents. So one of the parents decided it was time to kill this second generation of gods. And then those young gods had kids of their own. And so the grandson of the original gods they kept hidden was a god called Marduk. And um, I won't go through all the details of what happened, but eventually Marduk, um, the grandson of the two gods, ended up slaying Tiamat, one of the original two gods, the saltwater goddess. And with half of her body made the heavens and the other half made the earth. Have I just converted anyone to the Babylonian myth? I hope not. I should have mentioned that the second generation gods created some monsters and Marduk destroyed one of those monsters, cut its veins open and with the blood of the monster created the human race. This is an account of creation. Probably the second most reasonable account at the time. I hope you realize it's very different to the story of Genesis. There are so many gods, and it feels almost like a projection of a really bad childhood. In a sense, you had all, if you lived in this view, you would be very much middling and muddling because what is the purpose of life if the creation story is just chaos? Your own life was an accident from the death or the murder of some monsters in some sort of sick revenge against a grandparent god. Surely this gives you a muddling sense of what the purpose of life is. Genesis is so different from that. Very, very different. And the purpose of Genesis is really to introduce the God we already know. You see, most of us did not come to know God through Genesis 1. Most of us did not even come to know God through the creation of the world. Most of us came to know God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of us came to know the gospel because the Father welcomed us in with his open arms. The Son came out and he gave his life for us on the cross and rose again. The Spirit opens our hearts to understand and receive the things of God. That's how we came to know God. The people who heard the story of creation for the first time didn't come to know God through Genesis 1. They came to know God as the one who brought them up out of Egypt with a mighty hand whose presence always accompanied his people. They understood the book of Genesis from the Exodus. Just like we understand the creation of the world, looking back through the gospel, through the plans of God, right back at the beginning. If we've come to know the God of the Bible through the gospel, what Genesis 1 does is shows us what he's like. It's like if you've met someone. Have you met someone and you think they're pretty amazing? And then what you do, you find out what they've done before you met them. That's what Genesis does. It, it shows us the God we already know and what he did at the very beginning of creation. And uh, we come to know him better and appreciate our relationship with him more. It actually makes sense. Why would the Father... 
God the Father opened his arms for us? Why would he send his son into the world for us? Why? Because he made us, because he loves us, because he holds us as precious in his plans. Why would we be accountable to God? Because of who we are in this creation story. It introduces the God we know. And Genesis 1 really is about God. Let me analyze the statement. This is a very important statement in my, in my past life. Every morning, a woman used to make me a cup of coffee. Put that statement out there. It's true. Well, most mornings it happened, right? Not recently, but in the past. Every morning, for a few years, a woman made me a cup of coffee. There's two ways of analyzing that statement. One is, you could say, what, how did she make the coffee? You could say, what sort of coffee did she use? You could even think, what is this coffee you speak of? You could even say, where does coffee come from? What plants produce coffee? You could say, what process is involved in the boiling of water in a kettle? How does that even work? And they're good questions. But I bet none of you cared about that when I made the statement that every morning a woman used to make me a cup of coffee. What was your question? Who was the woman? <laughs> It's my, it was my wife, and you might be out there looking, why she stopped? No. <laughs> it was just because we got in a, in a coffee machine. Um, but it was just a small act of affection. You see, I think this is the same thing could be said. Imagine the statement, God made the heavens and the earth. Uh, or the heavens and the earth were created by God. There's two ways of analyzing it. One is to ask the how and the why, and that's totally legitimate. To, to ask about the processes, what's going on. But the quish, bigger question is, who made the heavens and the earth? What's he like? What purpose? What does it mean for us? And the purpose of Genesis 1, I think, really is to introduce us first and foremost to that who God is and what his purpose is. He creates from nothing. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this verse is like a watershed verse that divides all human thought. Some people believe there's a creator of the heavens and the earth and some do not. It's also an amazing verse that shows what God has done. In the beginning, what doesn't God do? He doesn't create other gods. He doesn't create like every other creation account, creating multiple gods who have fights and have chaos. He doesn't. He, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And, and there's a prior condition before we get to the days, before we get to the six days. Verse 2, it says... Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There's a couple of ways that people read this and I think they're both legitimate. One way is to say, in the beginning he made the heavens and the earth. Let me explain how that's going to happen and here's the six days. And the other approach is to say, in the beginning he made the heavens and the earth and it was a formless creation and the six days give the structure for it. He had the material and then the six day. It could be either. You can ask me some of those questions after church if you want. But the prior conditions, it was formless and it was empty. Remember those two words, formless and empty. And the darkness was over the surface of the water. One of the beautiful things about the opening verses of the book of Genesis is hidden in mystery that we don't even realize until later on when we read the gospel. We have the, the Trinity there. God made the world. He made the world through his word. When we read the New Testament. 
we see the Word became flesh, and that Word is Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of the Lord is there. Even in the first three verses, God made the heavens earth, verse 1. Two, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And three, how did God make the world? His Word. But our focus today is really on the six days to make a home. Six days to make a home. I think this is a beautiful part of God's Word, and I hope you don't find it a boring part of God's Word. It's a beautiful part of God's Word and a treasured and precious part of what God has to say to us. Six days to make a home. I don't think it's just describing a building of a house, but a home. Just like Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, a home for us in heaven. God here prepared a home for us the first time around. It's like all these elements are prepared and at last the residents go in. God put everything there so humanity can be in. Imagine a fishbowl. You get the fishbowl. You fill it with water. You put the gravel in. You put the plants in. You put the little um, sign that you know, says no fishing or whatever. You, you, you do other things in it. You put the, make sure the bubbles and aerations happen. And then what do you put in last? You put in the fish. And that's the picture of what God has done for us in the creation of the world. He put everything in so humanity can be there at the end. And the marvelous thing happens. God himself rests in that home. And it's an amazing picture. But a couple of questions about this. And one of them is... Um, what is this? Is this poetry? Is, is it prose? Is it somewhere in between? I, I used to, and if you listen to very old sermons of mine, I used to say it's all poetry. But actually someone corrected me and, and, and suggested, no, I don't think it is. And I think they're right. I, I, I don't think, it's not, it's not Hebrew poetry. The Bible, if you know Hebrew poetry, you see poetry where it has one line, then another line repeated. And there are little um, extra markers in the original language that show what's poetry and what's not. In fact, there are lines of poetry here um, where it says, uh, let us make man in our own image, in the image of God. He made them, male and female, he created them. That's, that line's poetry. But it does have the elements of poetry, doesn't it? Like, there are highly re- re- repetition and pattern. There's a thing, and God said, let there be, there was, it was good, morning, evening, first day. And God said, there was... Um, Morning, evening, second day, and it goes on. It's a beautiful pattern of creation. So different from um, the chaos of slaughtering intergenerational gods that other creation accounts had. And, and it is marvelous. You notice there's six day, in these six days, each one of them has got something in it. So the first one, there's light, and God separates the light from the darkness. The second day, there's a separation of the sea from the sky. The third day, up comes vegetation. The fourth, there's sky. It's interesting on these, a smaller side, some people have um, noticed uh, that God doesn't use the words for sun and moon in this chapter. I don't know if you've noticed, it's a bit weird to say the greater light and the lesser light. Um, but actually, one, one theory about this is because the words for sun and moons were words that people used to use for gods in their time. And so there was no hint in the creation count that God was making gods. He was making things. He was making lights. Um, And then um, by day six, there was the birds and the sea creatures and the humans. What are some of the patterns you see? I think one pattern you see is there's a move from simplicity to complexity. 
simplicity and light being at the beginning and the seas being separated from the land, and then complexity to objects being put in the sky and complexity of the birds and the fish and the animals, and most complex of all, human beings. But there's also another pattern, isn't there? What does he do on days one to three? He makes things. What does he do on days four to six? He fills those things. You see, how was it described at the beginning? It was formless and empty. And so what it does is he says on the first three days, he gives form to creation. And then days four to six, he fills those spaces. All the way through, God is preparing a home for his people and ultimately an opportunity to dwell with them by giving form and by giving shape to creation. And there's a deliberate parallel. Day one, he makes light and darkness. Day four, he fills it. Day two, he makes the, the, the water. Day five, he fills it. Day three, he makes the, the dry land. And day six, he fills it with animals. And the filling of those things is beautiful. It's a beautiful part of God's word. He said, let there be, and there was. I think it's one of the things we need to hear and sit and, just, and ponder. God spoke. He just spoke, and the world came to being. There's an illustration I borrowed from my previous senior minister. Do people know there's a proposed F6 in the Sutherland Shire? Like, it's been proposed for, like, how many years? I don't even know if it's still... Um, all those in favour of it say, I, you know... Um, there's a proposal of, of, of extension of a road, and I'm not sure if it's going to get scrapped or if it's going to be built or if it's going to be talked about. And I don't really want to talk about it after the church. Okay, I'll just put that out there. <laughs> but at the moment, it's formless and empty. <laughs> and darkness is hovering over the shire. No, no. It's formless and empty, right? And here's an idea. Imagine I went down to Miranda. You know, there's lots of empty parks that are just obviously set aside for this. And imagine if I went down there and I said, let there be the F6. Look around. Nothing's going to happen. Imagine if I got 100 of you guys to come with me and we just stay down there and say, let there be the F6. Imagine if we got 1,000 signatures and people were saying this and say, let there be. It's not going to happen. Who's it going to take? It's going to take Gladys, or I think it's actually ScoMo, to go down there and say, let there be the F6. And if he says, let there be the F6, uh, then what will happen is there'll be all sorts of people working out the budget, all sorts of people working at the engineering, all those last houses, apologies, will be, will be bought, and people will rush and people will do it, and it'll be built. It's, it's who says the word, isn't it, that matters. And it's a bit like that with God. God speaks, and his voice is so powerful that it happened. We don't know the exact mechanisms. We don't know whether it said, let there be, and then all the angels got involved. Or he said, let there be, and other processes were involved. But God said, let there be, and there was. And next week, we're going to think about what it means when he says, and it was good. You might find this hard to believe. You might be shocked. In the previous life, I was a nerd. Thank you. Thank you. I was a member of the Physics Society at New South Wales University because I studied physics. And there was a T-shirt we had. Oh, there it is. There it is. Um, that we had as part of our Physics Society. Um, 
It was never in yellow. No one in our group had a physique like this, and no one had a tan, okay? <laughs> but the, the T-shirt said, God said, and then a, whole, a bunch of maths, and then, and there was light. Actually, our one, I think, said, God said, let there be light, and a whole bunch of maths, and it was so. Does anyone know what those equations are called? Which one? No, I don't think they are. You don't know? I'm a nerd by myself. That's awesome. Okay. Wow. Maxwell's equations, guys. Maxwell's equations. They, they, they're actually... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Four equations describing the electromagnetic fields that, that, that actually describe light. Okay, this is they're the four, four equations of light. And it was actually done by the Non-Christian Physics Society, right? And you can look it up on the internet and you can buy shirts like this, okay? And it's not Christians pushing it. May, may put the t-shirt back up. I, I think it's great. It might be actually <laughs> that they're having a... They're having a go at Christians, perhaps. But it's interesting. God said, let there be light. And you know what happened? All the maths happened that made that happen. And there was light. Actually, this T-shirt gets it spot on. And it's fantastic. Um, it's part of what God made when he made light. He made the math that makes sense of the light, that describes it. If you study math, God made math. It's, it's fantastic. In fact, anything that works in our world... God made it. We need to understand that. I, I thought I'd better just double check. Because remember, I had a sinking suspicion that Maxwell, who, who, made, who came up with his equations, was a Christian. And I did a little bit of investigation. And I, he, when he, he was an elder in the Presbyterian church, an evangelical who died. And things were said at his death like, he'd come up with the most profound ideas, but he died with the simple faith that Jesus died for his sins. You see, he believed this, that God spoke, that math came back, and it was so. You don't need it up anymore. Psalm, 30, Psalm 33 is a beautiful song. I'll just read one verse from it. Verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. Everything came from God's breath, God's mouth. The whole thing was created by his word. That's how powerful God is. And each thing that God created. I love the line of the song from the song Indescribable. Who imagined the sun and give source to its light? Because when God said, let there be a greater light, he wasn't just saying, let there be a greater light like every other greater light. He was coming up with the idea in the first place. When I wrote this, I had no idea where we'll be singing that song tonight, but we will actually, and that wasn't my plan. It was obviously in someone else's plan. God's creation wasn't like our creation. When we create things, we just get bits of other things and make it. God came up with it in the first place. And because of this, we shouldn't be middling and muddling in this world. That psalm I quoted, Psalm 33, has another verse. Let all the earth fear the Lord and all the people of the world revere him. Stand in awe of God. That's what we need to do in the face of what he's done. If you wake up early enough in the morning... You, you can see the sunrise or the beautiful mist. Even tonight, you know what? What, was, what stood out to you tonight? When you, if, you just, if you just had a chance to look up, the moon. The moon was fantastic tonight. Or, or you see just the, the shape of the clouds, or you just see the mountain range, or just the bushland. Or you look up something up close. 
And you think, thank you, God, that was fantastic. But so often we just see these things and forget the God behind it. Too often we forget a creator. Sometimes when you, uh, people get it, don't they? Um, new life is born. You see a little baby and, and you hold the baby in your arms and you think, this, is, this God that we worship is amazing. That he can create. And that he can create things that can be fruitful and multiply and sustain themselves is just outstanding. Well, he creates a home for us. Let me just finish off by saying middling but not muddling. We're in the middle of the story. We are in the middle of the story and that's not going to change. We can't go back to the beginning again. We don't know how long we've got in this story and we don't know how long our, our time on here on earth is, but we're in the middle of the story but God's word says we don't have to muddle. Because not only we know the beginning, the Bible actually tells us the end as well. And it tells us, most importantly, who holds it all together. I'll just finish with drawing application from two verses we put up on the screen. Perhaps you could use them as memory verses. I'm not sure if we do one at a time. Um, oh, here we go. Put them up together. Perfect. Um, I think they're verses that we should Remember. Maybe even try to learn or maybe just put in our heads. They're, they're verses that apply the, this Genesis 1 to Christian people. Um, the first one I want to draw your attention is from Hebrews 11 verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Years ago I recall one of my kids came up to us to Ruth and I and said, Have you know, do you know there was a chapter of the Bible called Hebrews 11? Like They just read it and discovered it. It's a wonderful chapter of the Bible about people who have faith in, in believing in God. Abel believed in God. He had faith in God. And by faith, Abraham trusted in God. Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Moses' parents, Moses himself. The history of the people in the Bible had faith. All these people had faith in God. But out of the whole chapter, one verse talks about our faith. You see, it's a chapter of their faith. They believe, they believe, they believe, they believe. One verse says our faith. And it's this one. Chapter 12 will tell us about the faith we have in Jesus. But here, this, this profound truth. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what was seen was not made out of what was visible. This is a profound truth for us, that all this comes from God's word. His word made it all. Doesn't that change the way you look at God's word? God's word's like a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. His word also made the sun in the sky. His word created the world. By his word, the heavens are held back for the day of judgment. His word will remake the universe. His word saves you. His word gives you new birth. His word cleans you up as a Christian. His word is the creating living force of the world. His word is revealed in Jesus. His word was written for us down in the Bible. And it's quite amazing. If, if you're reading your Bible somewhere, this is, I find this amazing truth. You're reading the word of God in the Bible. And you're reading the Word of God, which probably points to the Word of God, Jesus Christ, who walked among us. And you're probably reading this in the light 
of something that was made by God, his word. And there might be a tree next to you, which is also made by the word of God. And you're the one listening. We're made by God's word. And so when you're reading the word about the word, surrounded by everything that was made by the word of God, it actually means that we need to do what, what we're doing there is actually resonating with the purpose of the world. Listening to the word of God is super important. Think of the authority of God's word. God has such authority, he said, let there be, there was, and it was good. When he speaks to us in his word, his word has authority and he wants us to resonate with it. If we're his people, we might be middling, but we shouldn't be muddling. The first thing I want to say is we have our, it's our faith in that powerful word. Second thing is, from the other end of the Bible, the end of the Bible, now I, I love nature documentaries. We all love, no, I shouldn't say that. Maybe some people hate, probably here, hate nature documentaries. I love, who, who likes them? Is there a few people who like them? There's a couple, yeah, it's good, it's good. Um, but I actually think the way we watch a nature documentary kind of tricks us a bit. Because I think one of the things we do when we watch a nature documentary is we sort of stand back and say, isn't that interesting? Nice work. Um, we, we watch it and we think the photography is incredible. Or even we think about God, we think God's incredible. But, but our compliment about the documentary shouldn't just be an echo with a compliment about it. God. God doesn't want us just to compliment him. Maybe we put that verse up again. God wants us to give all to him. He wants us to stand in awe of him. As the book of Revelation says, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. That verse doesn't say... God, we just want to admire you because you created all things. Now it says, God, because you created all things, you are worthy of everything. You are worthy of all glory and honor and power from your human beings that you created. And so I want to say, it's right for us to stop and just wonder and praise God for what he's done and what lies before us. But that's not enough, is it? We've got to actually realize that he's worthy of us. And give ourselves to God at that moment. And this is said in the heavenly scene. We had it read out and it's a beautiful description. Um, actually, one of the descriptions that talks about people, living creatures and elders, and one of the things they're doing is they cast down their crowns before God. They take their crowns off and they say, it's all about you, not about us. Sometimes we act like kids, don't we? Little kids. Thinking the world revolves around us. We might be a, a little kid in a 20-year-old body or a 45-year-old body or a 60-year-old body, but we still act like kids in terms of God. But we need to take the crown off our head and say, no, God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. You see, the more you look at the universe and the world, the more you realize how small we are. We're just little people in one little country at one moment of history. 200 years' time, almost none of us will be remembered. And we exist in this point of time and we're going around the sun. The sun's not even the heart of the universe. The, 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 there are galaxies and clusters and superclusters of galaxies and we're small. And the more we understand the world, the more we realize how small we are. And the more we understand God, the more we understand how huge he is. But 
because God made the world, the, the, the world through his word, and he puts us there at the center, actually, the more we understand how the universe is and how great God is, the more we understand how precious we are in God's sight. And how much God cares about us. That this is not a cold universe. There is the warm embrace of the Father who wants us to come home. The love of the, the Son who gives himself on the cross and rose again. The work of the Holy Spirit to give us a fresh life. And what does it mean? I think it means we, we praise God and give ourselves to God again. I think it means thinking about the Creator and not just the creation. It also means being what we are. How does the Son praise God? By being what it was designed to be. How do animals praise God? By being what they're meant to be. How do we? By being the people that we're meant to be in service of God, in love for each other, working hard for Him and receiving Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the beginning of the Bible which teaches us about you and we pray that you would be convicting and applying these truths to our lives. Father, we just praise you that you didn't leave us in the dark about who made the world. And even that it happened through your word. And that it was ordered. And that it was good. And Father, help us now to receive by faith the understanding that you created the world from nothing. And to, un- and to live out what it means to give you all, worth, all glory, honour and power because of it. Father, we praise you for the simple things of life, as well as our own bodies, as well as life itself. And Father, we pray that help us to, to use it well for you. We pray this in Christ's wonderful, precious name. Amen.